Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Sarah. It's a strange word of the day. Not if you know that I love art. Sarah, one of my favorite artists. The artist of my favorite all-time painting that is in the Art Institute in Chicago. It's called Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. Sarah, he did that in between 1884 and 1886. It's pointillism. What that means is if you're up really close to the Sarah. You may have seen this in Ferris Bueller's day, day Off. It's just he literally does it with a paintbrush, and it's like points. And all of a sudden, you're up close to it. It doesn't look like anything. Then when you're back, it becomes these amazing figures. It's a pretty complicated, really cool piece of art. Why is that the word of the day today, September 14th? Because Sunday afternoon, get it? Not the song by Chicago. It's week one of the NFL season on a Sunday afternoon. Instead of being on the island of La Grande Jatte, I was on the island of my couch watching the National Football League, Major League Baseball. There was hockey. There was basketball, soccer. There was everything. It was insane. And I was also flipping back and forth to movies. I said this on Twitter and it made me laugh. Have you ever been in the position where you're watching so many things that you're watching nothing? That's what happened to me yesterday. I don't think I saw any good play because I was going back and forth between so many games and the U.S. Open men's final was on starting at four. I wanted to watch Tom Brady's debut with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Cowboys played last night. So much is going on. And so many weeks we had spent Sunday afternoons on the island of La Grande Jatte, but not yesterday and not the next, what is it, 20 straight Sundays that we'll get football now? Something like that. Anyway, what happened? A couple things of week one. I'm not a highlights guy. You know that. I'm not giving you highlights. I'm going to tell you who won or lost. Just check the interweb. You'll find it. But three stories were interesting to me yesterday. One, our favorite owner, second favorite. I guess Coco, we're going to say he's our second favorite. Jerry Jones has to be our first favorite in terms of content for nothing personal, but a close second, like neck and neck at the quarter pole is Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team. So it's opening day. Washington football team gets a big victory over the Eagles. First win as the Washington football team. Eagles were supposed to have won that game and didn't because they're the Eagles. But that's not what interested me. Daniel Snyder took the time on opening day to give us a quote about one of the big stories of the offseason, other than his sexual harassment and other than all the misogyny, racism, all the stuff that is going on in Washington. The big question has been, what's going to be their name? Because, as you know, they're no longer the Washington Redskins. Got rid of that. 
It's now the Washington football team, which was a temporary placeholder while they try to figure out the intellectual property required to both choose a name, reserve a name, get a domain name. That's the www.name.com.org.edu. I guess they could do like Dot Daniel Snyder. I wonder if he's one of those guys. Have you ever gotten someone to give you an email and their own name is their domain? Like, what's your email? Oh, it's David at davidsampson.com. That's awesome. I wonder if that could happen with Daniel Snyder. It's the Washington football team at danielsnyder.com. So they're trying to figure out a new name and they hired the new president. Remember the first African-American president, his last name is Wright. Although I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. I think that's his last name. In any case, they're going to do this big search, come up with a name. His name is Jason Wright. Thank you, Matthew. Good morning to you. Happy Monday. Monday's always good for Coke. He's on it. He's in my ear. He's on the document. Come Thursday, Friday. M-I-A. So Daniel Snyder was asked a question about the team's nickname. And he said, this is no joke. He actually said that he is allowing for the possibility that the temporary name they're currently living under, which is Washington football team, could become their permanent name. He responded to the Wall Street Journal by email by saying, sure, it's possible. If the Washington football team name catches on and our fans embrace it, then we would be happy to have it as our permanent name. I think we have developed a very classy, retro look and feel. If you're listening to this, then I just did gag me with a spoon. There's an 80s reference. Gag me with a spoon. Daniel, come on, man. You're not naming your team the Washington football team. It's not going to happen. So therefore, let us into the process. Tell us what you're doing. Say it's going to take time. Say we're going to speak to all of our constituents, and then I'm going to make a decision. That we're going to try to get buy-in from everyone so the limited partner stops suing me, so they don't want to sell, so the players stop protesting, so fans keep embracing us and buying hot dogs and shirts. We're going to let them buy some WFT stuff on the thought that it could be permanent, and then we're going to do the switcheroo, and we're going to name it the Washington Frisches. And then we'll have another feel and another look. And you'll have to buy another jersey. Thank you, Daniel. What else happened yesterday? Yes. I don't know why I say that to you. That's not giving the audience enough credit. I say, I wonder what else happened yesterday. You know I've got prepared in outline form what I'm going to talk about. So I should say it this way. And in other news yesterday, how about our favorite coach? You know who it is. I think we've had like 14 wait to sees about this coach. Adam Gase, or is it Gaze? I get it wrong every time. I, Coke, I did it. I had it in my head what it should be. What is it? It's Gase, right? So Adam Gase was the coach of the Dolphins, got fired, got hired by the Jets. He had all, that, all those problems with his players. I said to you, wait to see. He will not coach a snap in 2021. Query after getting their absolute asses kicked by the Buffalo Bills, who are favored to win the AFC least. They lost like 150 to 10. I don't know that Gase lasts through the season. But then I read what he said after 
And that's it. If I'm the owner of the Jets, although I'm sitting in London as the ambassador to the UK, when I read Adam Gase apologize and saying that he's upset with himself for allowing Le'Veon Bell, that's the running back they have in their team, Remember Bell? He's supposed to be good, but he's not used properly, and he's been stinky, and there's been problems that he's had. Well, he got a sore hammy, which, as you know, we talked about was going to happen. Remember all the soft tissue injuries that we said look out for because of no preseason games, and they're going full speed ahead, and all the NFL talking heads and the media people were saying, what a great performance by NFL players. They were sharp. They were on it. They were hard-hitting. The games were great. Well, 42 players were on the week one injury report because of hamstring-related injuries, of which cornerbacks and wide receivers make up 43% of that. Why is that an interesting stat? They're the ones running, and you know when you're over 40 and you haven't stretched, and all of a sudden you do a burst of speed, and then you pull up lame with a hammy injury? Yes, we've all been there. What does it mean? It means there's going to be more injuries. What do you do when you're a coach and you see a player injured? Here's how it works. Let's say that you're coaching a football team and one of your players hurts his hamstring in the first half. I've got the weekend throat issue. Hold on while I take a sip of water. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know what that is? I'm going off the rails on one. When I do that, thank you. Go watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That's Steve Martin and Michael Caine. Steve Martin says when asked a question and he wants to relieve himself at the table during dinner, he asks permission and then he finishes and he looks at Michael Caine and he says, thank you. (laughs) That's pretty funny. So Adam Gase player gets injured. You go to the trainer. What's the status? The trainer says, listen, he's got a hamstring. We don't really know what's going on, but he's stretching it. We're trying to work him out. I'll be back to you. So that's what happens during a halftime. If it's during a baseball game that happens in between innings or even during the inning, you get to speak to your trainer and figure out whether or not that player will be made available. If the player's not available for the rest of the game, then You have someone in the clubhouse, a trainer, call the PR guy, call the GM, and you announce it to the media that John Cotoston will not be available for the rest of the game with a hamstring, MRI later, or we'll have an update later. So Bell apparently hurt his hamstring, wanted to play. All players want to play. Well, not all. You wish all, but many. And he wasn't ready to play. So Gase puts him in in the second half. He's in for maybe a series and then pulled out of the game because he clearly couldn't play. Then Gase meets the media and apologizes, saying he was angry with himself for allowing Bell to play. If I'm owning that team, I don't want him responsible for my players anymore because I need a coach who understands that when a player is not able to play, the only thing that can happen is bad. A, they're not going to play well. B, our team is going to keep stinking and lose. And C, what is a two-week injury could become a four, or a one could become a five. You don't screw around with that. You're done, Adam. 
You're at 14 minutes and counting. Someone was wondering whether Adam Gase will get another coaching job. He will not. This will be it for him. Not even a wait to see. It's not even worthy of that. Two chances. It's usually three strikes and you're out, isn't it? No, not in this case. D-O-N-E for G-A-S-E. Third topic. I got a small little thing I have to talk about because I'm annoyed. And I'm annoyed because when I'm watching football and my team is losing and I know that we have to go to the pass, what I'm rooting for is not necessarily a completed pass. I'm rooting for the quarterback to throw the ball down the field and pray to the yellow God. And this season and last season, many prayers got answered. What's the yellow God? It's called the penalty flag. When the back judge or somebody in the umpire and crew, referee crew, throws a flag and then you wait for it, you get all excited and they put their uh, hand down at their hip, they click the microphone on, and then you see their hands extend outward. They're calling pass interference, but you yet don't know, is it offensive, is it defensive? You're all excited. Pass interference. Defense, number 29, first down at the spot. It's a dream come true. It's called a spot foul in the NFL. That's when you get the ball at the spot. So if it's first and 10 at your own 20 and you throw it down to the opposing team's 30-yard line and there's interference, you get first and 10 at the 30 as though the ball had been caught right there and the player had been tackled right there. That's not fair. And I'm tired of it. Pass interference should be a 15-yard penalty because it changes the game. It is the single call in any sport that has the biggest impact on the outcome of the game. If you whip it into the end zone and get a pass interference call, you're getting first and goal at the one. So the spot foul in the end zone is first and goal at the one. Might as well be a touchdown. If you can't score from the one and four tries, forget it. Unless you're Pete Carroll in the Super Bowl and you pass and throw an interception. So the argument against my view that that rule is wrong is the view is that that would then incentivize defensive backs when they're beaten simply to tackle the offensive player. Then they know it'll be interference, but it'll only be a 15-yard penalty. So if in theory they're more than 15 yards down the field and they're beaten, just go after the legs, tackle them, and all it is is first and 10, 15 yards later. I hear you. But I'm not convinced because I got a slight little rule tweak, which gives the umpires a little bit of judgment. And the judgment is the following. Pass interference. It's like personal fouls. Do you know that there's a there used to be and Coca, this is a great question. We didn't talk about this pre-show. Are there still two penalties for personal fouls? There used to be the 15 yard personal foul. And there used to be the five-yard personal foul. It's like the face mask. Five-yard face mask is the unintentional sort of touching the face mask where there's a 15-yard personal foul face mask where you grab it and twist. And that is at the discretion of the umpires. 
So I think pass interference should be the same thing. If there's a pass interference play where the defensive back or any player literally tackles a player for the sole reason that they're about to be beaten, you can call that a spot foul. But if it's pass interference where their arms lock up or their hand gets in front too quickly or they do the face guard or they don't time it right where you're going for the ball but you end up touching the player before the ball's there, that to me is a 15-yard pass interference. Blatant tackling is spot. Make that rule change. Why are we letting games get decided by pass interference? The Cowboys game last night, everyone is up in arms if you're a Cowboy fan. Despondent beyond repair. That their offensive player was called their receiver for offensive pass interference. And it took away a catch. That is a very clear rule. Offensive pass interference, you cannot create room with, as an offensive player with contact to the defensive back to create room in order for you to make the catch. It's sort of a clear play. Bring it back. Penalty, 10 yards, repeat first down. I think you're going to see the NFL make some changes because they should, because I'm annoyed by it. And for those of you who think that the NFL shouldn't be making that change, I think you're going to end up being wrong. So what happens when a player meets an owner? We've talked about when our players would meet our owner, our owner, great owner, Jeffrey Loria. He loved owning the team, loved the players, loved to win, wanted to win. We didn't love it when he would have one-on-one negotiations with players because you let your emotions or your heart get in the way. We like to use Jeffrey as the closer to finish deals, not to start them. Yesterday, or this weekend, there was a big meeting in the heartland. I wonder whether the meeting was in the heartland. We actually don't know that, Coca. The cheese capital of the world, my second favorite state, Wisco. Giannis Anatikampuka. I got that wrong. Ana, I can't say it like Tagaviloa. I just can't do it. I'm going to go Giannis. Giannis had a three-hour meeting with one of the owners of the team. It's owned by two guys, Wes Edens and Mark Lazary. Giannis apparently met with Mark Lazary, and I want to talk about this meeting and how this meeting goes and why this meeting happened. So the Bucks get eliminated by the Miami Heat in five games. Second year in a row, the Bucks had the best record in the NBA and did not advance to the finals. Lost to the Toronto Raptors, the eventual champions last year. Lost to the Heat, maybe the eventual champions this year. Wait to see. They're going to play the Celtics starting tomorrow night. Giannis becomes a free agent after next year. So this is the offseason where Giannis could do one of those things that happens in the NBA and somehow it works where you demand a trade because you tell your team, I'm not resigning with you. Either lose me for nothing or trade me now to a team that I tell you and I'll sign an extension maybe or I won't. But you better get something for me because I'm out of here. So Giannis feels as though he's got leverage right now. Giannis is in line for what they call in the NBA a super max deal. Not just a max deal. It's a super max deal. Anywhere between 230 to $250 million over five years, all dependent on what the salary cap is going to be next season. Now, super max deals are about 35% of the salary cap. 
And so Giannis wanted to meet with the Bucks owner. And here's how it went. Hey, Mark, good to see you, man. Tough year, tough year. Sorry about my ankle, man. Did that hurt? I tried to play through it. That European step I do where I know I travel every time, but I don't really see where my legs are going. And I know I really haven't gotten hurt in the past, but I take such big steps. The defensive players are left off balance and off guard. And all of a sudden, I may step on a foot and roll my ankle. Not great, but I'll be okay. If the series had gone seven, I was in. I would have played. But that's not why we're meeting. Mark, I got a question. Do you want to win? What do you mean, Giannis? Of course I want to win. We have no rings. The Bucs have not won since 1971. Yeah, but Mark, do you really want to win? What do you mean, Giannis? What are you really asking me? Well, Giannis, just tell me. Okay, I will. Are you willing to go over the salary cap and pay a luxury tax to get players around me who are better so that we can win a title because I can't be the number one, number two, and number three star? There's got to be a big three. Maybe that he can do it with just Jimmy Butler, who's not even a superstar, and a few other role players. But you've got a 38-year-old Kyle Korver who can barely walk. You got oh, Everyone's old. Matthews is going to be gone. Middleton's fine, but when I'm on the floor, he tends to stand around and watch. Bledsoe's good, but he disappears for a lot of periods of the game. Lopez brothers? Come on, man. I know he can shoot. I don't need a seven-footer who can shoot. Give me Steve Kerr. Tom Paxson. Steph Curry. He'd be a good one to have. You better take care of me because I'll leave. So tell me, Mark, will you spend over the luxury tax? If I'm an owner and I have that meeting with Giannis, I tell him to STFU. I'm not going to kiss his A-double-S. What bothers me is that the experience that I've had with players is that they always ask those questions and they never mean it. When we were talking about this show and this segment, Coco wanted me to remind you about the meeting I had with Giancarlo and Jeffrey Laurie was there and Dan Jennings and Mike Hill and Giancarlo's agent before we signed Giancarlo to that 13-year, $325 million deal. And Giancarlo, during the meeting, brought up the very same thing. The same thing that Bryce Harper brought up with Philadelphia. The same thing that Manny Machado brought up with San Diego. Once you sign me, will there be enough money to build around me? And in baseball, you definitely need more than one player to win. We're witnessing that right now with the Philadelphia Phillies who may go a second year in a row without making the playoffs with Bryce Harper. So Giancarlo Stan said, can you do it? And we said, of course. That's why we're structuring the contract this way. When you're at 30 million, we'll be at 150 million payroll for sure. That'll be 20% of payroll and we know we can win with one player at 20%. We're going to have to make some tough choices but we think that you're going to be the Hall of Famer for the Marlins. You're going to be here forever. We want you. We need you. We love you. Giancarlo Stanton couldn't have given one crap about that. And I love you, Giancarlo, but you know I'm right. The reason you signed that deal is you had been hit in the face. You hadn't played, and we were offering you guaranteed $325 million with a no-trade clause and an opt-out. Other than that, Why did you accept that deal? You accepted that deal because we made it impossible for you to reject it. 
we said to you, and I had this conversation with you at the Beverly Hills Hotel where we were, Giancarlo, let me just say, if we offer you $325 million, are you going to say no to that? What's the number where you simply can't say no? And he tried to say, it's about all these other things. But he looked at me and smiled. And I smiled back because I knew we had him. It's the same thing with Giannis. Giannis is eligible for a super max deal with Milwaukee that he's not eligible for with any other team. You think he wants to make sure that Mark Lazary is going to pay a luxury tax? What teams are guaranteed to pay a luxury tax these days? Teams are fighting in the NBA to get under the tax like they are in baseball. We don't know where the salary cap is going to go. Right now, the salary cap could be lower next year, not higher. China, COVID. Giannis may be better served financially to wait a year and then sign as a free agent or then sign his max deal with Milwaukee because the cap may be higher in 22 than it is in 21. Or it may be lower yet again if there's another year in the bubble, another year of no fans. That's a decision Giannis has to make. As an owner, you have no control over what a free agent wants to do unless you overpay. And in basketball, there is no overpaying because of the salary cap. You either get the max or the super max from your own team or the max from a team you want to go to. But it's the amount of money where the difference may not be enough to sway a player into being where he doesn't want to be. And baseball doesn't work that way. When you've got years left of control of a player and you are offering him guaranteed money, he's going to take it if it's an OP. That's the best way to get a player. You know that. You overpay. But the Bucks are in a position in a league with a salary cap. You can overpay for middle-of-the-road players, and that's how you could get them. But with the way teams try to finagle their salary cap, even that is not happening in the way it used to. So Giannis has a very simple choice, and he doesn't need Mark Lazary or a meeting with Mark Lazary to make that decision. Decision one, do you want to be in Milwaukee? Decision two, get from your agents which teams are in a position to sign you to the max deal after next season. Because teams are already positioning themselves to be able to sign him to that deal. And the agent will speak to every one of those teams and get an understanding of what those teams can do and are willing to do for Giannis. But then Giannis has to say, listen, what if I only sign, do not sign a deal with the Bucks, and I hurt my ankle to the point that it blows up and I can never play again? Why don't I take the Supermax deal now? And if I get hurt, it's still guaranteed money because NBA is guaranteed, not like NFL. Those are the decisions that Giannis has to make with his agent and with his family. They have nothing to do with ownership. And sorry, folks, they have nothing to do with your city either. If Giannis wants the money and he wants to guarantee it, he's going to be a buck. If not, he's gone. But owners, do not go over the luxury tax because a player asks you to. Go over because you've got FU money and you're willing to do whatever it takes and you are under the mistaken belief that the more you spend, the better chance you have of getting a ring. If you want to overspend somewhere, hire good basketball executives. That was the meeting. <sighs> okay. When we come back, I watched a movie that is a couple of years old and I can't believe I'd never heard of it. And I got it by doing Netflix and chill and by looking at 
uh, an article which had some of the best Netflix movies around. We're going to talk about baseball because it's been a hell of a weekend and there's some interesting baseball stuff happening. But right after the break, we're going to do some wild talking. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Nothing Personal on September 14th, 2020, or whatever day you're listening to this. Thank you. We're going to do another end-of-month mailbag pod, so please get on Apple, give us five stars, and write a review, please, and then ask a question, any sort of question, and if it's cool and good, I'm going to cover it on the end-of-month mailbag bonus pod. I do appreciate that you do it. Those end-of-month bonus pods have been good. Was the August one a good one, Coca? I like that one. I, I hope you've listened to that one. Okay, so part of what I do on Nothing Personal is I watch movies, TV shows, shock journey every day. There's an actor named Paul Dano. Paul Dano was in one of my favorite movies called The Girl Next Door. He was the really tall, sort of awkward-looking guy. He was in Little Miss Sunshine. He was in There Will Be Blood. He was in Ruby Sparks. His name is Paul Dano, and he is incredibly talented. Somehow... I miss the fact that he made his directorial debut a couple years ago. It's a movie called Wildlife. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal. I can't believe I missed a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And Carrie Mulligan. I can't believe I missed a Carrie Mulligan movie. And a young boy, maybe 14, 15 years old, named Ed Oxenbould. I didn't know anything about the movie. I knew it was highly recommended on a Netflix list of movies to watch. And when I saw that Paul Dano had adapted it for the screen from a book and, and directed it, I immediately watched it. Phenomenal. This is a movie that's not a bang em up, shoot em up movie. It's a movie about a couple in the 1960s who were hard on their luck. The father, Jake Gyllenhaal, gets fired from his job, needs to make money. The mother is a typical 1960s housewife who, through the course of the movie, sort of finds her voice, finds her way, sort of misses America before there was Phyllis Schlafly or Gloria Steinem, tries to figure it all out. And the movie is told from the perspective of the 14-year-old and what happens to his family when the father loses his job. Now, it sounds like an ordinary script, boilerplate. Family loses job, marital problems, and they find a way to make it all work in the end. That's not what this movie is. This movie is slow and steady and perfect. It's the tortoise beating the hare. It lets the actors breathe. When you're watching this movie and you're watching Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan and this new guy who I'd never heard of named Ed, what Paul Dano as a director is able to get out of these actors is acting without talking. The camera stays on them long enough during a scene where they express themselves. Like Grey's Anatomy, where the actors have to express themselves or mash when they're wearing a mask and they only have their eyes. 
Imagine a good actor who's got their entire body and their entire face to show the weight of the scene without dialogue required. Wildlife, please check it out. It is phenomenal. Thank you, Paul Dano. Keep going, please. Okay, uh, two weeks from tomorrow is September 29th. Thank you. Okay, moving on. I'm just kidding. Do you know what September 29th is? Game one of the playoffs in Major League Baseball. We are two weeks away from the playoffs. It's the final two weeks of the season. It's complete insanity. The Miami Marlins swept a doubleheader yesterday from the Philadelphia Phillies. They've won four out of the first six games of a seven-game series against the Phillies. There's another game today. The Marlins are now in second place. They're the fifth seed in the National League. Of course, they're a few games out from being the eighth seed. The Mets are chasing them. They could end up being the ninth seed or tenth seed. It is exciting. You've heard me talk about the Marlins a lot. Don Mattingly deserves manager of the year no matter what happens. And Mike Hill deserves executive of the year. They need to win this. Now, there'll be a lot of attention to A.J. Preller of the Padres. He best not win executive of the year. There'll be some attention to Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn in Chicago. The White Sox, who are in first place, best record in the American League. Cubs and White Sox are both in first place. But the executive of the year is clearly Michael Hill and what he's had to do. With a roster that was supposed to lose 100 games, they lost that roster to COVID, brought in guys who wouldn't have made a beer league, got some of his guys back, made an amazing deadline trade for Starling Marte, has drafted wonderfully, scouted beautifully, and that is a team that is competing for a playoff spot, albeit a short season, but WC. Who cares? It's totally awesome that the Marlins could make the playoffs. As for the Phillies, conversely, remember what John Middleton, the owner of the Phillies, said? Like Ron Fowler, no excuses. They have JT Relamudo. They have Bryce Harper. They have all these players signed. I want them to miss the playoffs so badly. They signed Joe Girardi to be their manager. No love lost between me and Joe, although we've spoken, and it's fine. But I can't forget what happened 14 years ago. I forgave. I moved on, but man, what a crappy year that was. He took over the Phillies from Gabe Kapler, and everyone thought that's it. Meanwhile, Gabe Kapler and the Giants are in the playoffs right now as a wild card team. And Joe Girardi and the Phillies, hmm, their bullpen stinks. Their GM, Matt Clentock, is going to lose his job. They can't fire Girardi. They already fired Kapler. So all that's left, if they don't make the playoffs, is to fire Matt Clentock. Mark my words. If the Philadelphia Phillies do not make the playoffs, this is not even a wait to see because we have seen. We don't need to wait. We've been in those shoes. That GM gets fired. Day after the season. Guaranteed. I'm rooting for the Marlins. Go fish. What else happened? Like I'm pretending to think of it right now. Hmm. What else happened? On Mondays, I recap. I write it down. Albert Pujols. Never been accused of doing steroids. Never been caught doing steroids. The only thing we know about Albert Pujols, and I've said this directly to his agent, a guy named Dan Lozano, is that, how old is he? For real. Come on, Dan, tell me. Come on. Come on. How old is he? I think that he's only a few years younger than Julio Franco. This weekend, 
Albert Pujols hit his 660th career home run. Who's got more? A-Rod, 696. Hank Aaron, 714. This is all for memory, so I may be getting the list wrong. And then Barry Bonds, 755. Am I right, Coca? 755, 714, 696, and now 660 for Pujols, which would put him in fourth place. And if I'm wrong, all right. I was thought I was close. 714 is Babe Ruth. What does Hank Aaron have? I forgot about Babe Ruth. Hold on. Now we got to give we got to give people this. Babe Ruth. Aaron is 755. Bonds has to be above Aaron then. Why did I think that? Okay, Bonds 762. Thank you, Coca. This is, I love nothing personal because this is it. This is the show. I'm just a normal guy trying to remember stuff, knowing that synapses aren't always clear on a random Monday. Bonds was 762. Aaron was 755. Then Ruth. Then A-Rod. Then Pujols. Either way, my point was that Pujols will not hit another 36 home runs in his career. He is in the last year of his deal with the Angels. Remember, he signed that 10-year deal in 2012, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. One more year left in that deal. He's about a 250 hitter at best now. Over a course of a long season next year, let's say he even plays 130 games, which should be a lot. Let's say he can hit 20 home runs, maybe. He'll try to maybe squeeze out 16 more after that. Maybe get a couple more this year. Not going to happen. But he remains, along with Miguel Cabrera and Manny Ramirez, the top three right-handed hitters I saw over the course of my career. Simply incredible when he was in his prime. And it's not that I'm sad to watch him now. I feel it's, it's, do you ever get this when with older players and you feel for them because they, they don't realize that they just can't play anymore, but they're not willing to retire. We, the, the expression is you're going to have to rip the jersey off them. And that is what Albert Pujols is. You get the feeling that he doesn't realize that it's enough. And for me, I don't want people, especially young people watching the Angels, I don't want them to look back at this Pujols and say, this is the guy. Because he's not. Albert Pujols, congrats on 660. The Angels, update, they have won 15 games in a row. They are now in the playoff position in the American League West. And all of that work signing Anthony Rendon having Albert Pujols, Shohei Otani through his injury, and the greatest player, Mike Trout, we are finally going to get to watch them two weeks from today when they make the playoffs. Congratulations, Angels. You turned your season around. They go for their 27th win in a row tonight. Wait to see. All right, Coco, what do we got starting the 29th? Anything? You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. Yes, you do. So you want to talk to Samson. That is uh, the segment we do. Get on my Twitter at David P. Samson, D-A-V-I-D-P-S-A-M-S-O-N. Get into the DMs there, public, ask a question. on so you want to talk to Samson. I may address it. I may respond to it. I may not. It doesn't mean I won't read it. I don't have that read thing, so you won't know if I've read it, but I may read it. Even ones that I don't accept, I still read. 
I pretty much, when you don't sleep a lot, you pretty much read all your DMs. Sometimes you get a backlog and then you say to yourself, I'm not going to go back. You ever done that? Like with emails or voicemails or texts, they just fall so far below. I don't do that, right? Because I don't want any red numbers on my phone at all. Like red numbers bother me. Like if you look at my phone right now, like I've got three red numbers from that happened during the show and I'll deal with them immediately after the show. So the question in the DM was an interesting one. Could the Major League Baseball Players Association derail the postseason bubble plan? Thank you. Good question. What are we talking about? Well, MLB on nothing personal. I told you what the postseason bubble plan should be. The team should start going into the bubble with a week to go in the regular season. MLB said, nah, we're going to do the following. Any team that finishes the year on the road will stay in the hotel and bubble the way they have because it's worked so well. And if you're playing at home the last week of the season and you're a playoff team, we're going to move you into a hotel and you're going to bubble at home. Then you're going to play the first round series. If you're the top four seeds, the two out of three series, you'll get to play at home. If you're the bottom four seeds, you'll travel as though it's another three-game road series. And then you'll have four teams win, obviously, because there's eight two out of three series, because there's 16 playoff teams, so four teams will win in each league. Those teams will go to the bubble. So there'll be a bubble. Not the kind of bubble that you're thinking of. It's not like an Orlando bubble, because it's not really a bubble. The bubble is that they're going to go to Los Angeles. The American League will play games at Dodger Stadium and at Petco Park, The National League will play at Globe Life Field and at Minute Maid. And then the World Series will be played at Globe Life Field in Texas. Except it's not like an Orlando bubble where they're not bringing in barbers and games and they're not making sure that everyone stays within the confines. It's like the regular rules they've had during the season, which is stay in your hotel, go to the ballpark, back to your hotel. Hard stop. There's no going out for a run if you're an executive. There's no going out to dinner. There's no going to clubs. There's no being a uh, Mike Clevenger. I was going to call him Rocky. There's no being a Zach Plezak, like they're the only two who've ever gone out. None of that. Okay, that's the bubble plan. Great, we've got ourselves a bubble plan. It'll, it's only a month. What's the big deal? Wait a minute. What? Oh, here's the issue. MLB has told the union that they want any family members visiting or being a part of the bubble to quarantine for seven days prior to entering the player bubble. They'll put them up at a separate hotel and they will not be allowed to see their family, their husbands. They will have to stay seven days. Then if they test negative, then they can join their husband in the husband's team hotel bubble. And the players have said no. Can you imagine? The NBA players went to the bubble in Orlando and they were without their families for months. Months. They're only now allowed family in like a week or two. And yes, it's hard. And it was for teams that didn't even have a chance, some of them. MLB is asking you to go into a bubble for seven days without your family. Now, it's not about me not being a family guy or being a family guy. It's nothing to do with that. It's not that I don't feel sorry for guys because they want to have COVID testers come in and play games with them. Wink, wink. I'm talking about the Houston Rockets guy. I think we covered that on a previous show. I understand you want to be with your family, but it's seven days. Are you willing to give up the possibility of postseason money that you're splitting? $50 million you're splitting. Plus, you get more because owners will have more money to give you next year when you're an arbitration or a free agent. 
If they don't get the postseason revenue, your salary is going to go down so much, your head is going to spin like a dreidel. It's seven days, yet we've got players. And this is not me going on a pro-owner rant. This is for you. MLB's doing this for you. Yet you have Andrew Miller out there, one of the head guys in the union who's a player, former player of ours. Everyone's out there saying, that's really, that's too, that's too heavy a load. I can't do that. That's too much. Give me a break. There's going to be a bubble and the players are going to give in and the families will have a seven-day quarantine and everyone will get over it. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Few. I have a shirt on. Was there any bigger win than Garrett Cole over the Orioles? It was a slam dunk. You knew it was going to happen. I told you I'd do the show naked in just a swimsuit, so that's not naked. No shirt. I would do that if Garrett Cole lost to the Orioles. That game got rained out. It was played the next day, and, of course, he crushed them. So I'm 17 and 10. Guess what tonight is? All my friends are ready for Monday night. I used to be the biggest Giants fan in the world when I was before I got into baseball and then I lost all fandom. I'm hoping that maybe I can get back in and become a huge Giants fan again. The Giants play. They're getting five and a half points from the Steelers. I believe this is Big Ben's first game back after his injury. Sorry, Kohler. Tom Kohler, one of our former players. He is a huge Giants fan. Giants are going to lose by more than five and a half. Take the Steelers. I'm going football because I'm trying to get to 18 and 10 because why wouldn't I? Okay, wait to see. Wait to see when I tell you what's going to happen. If it doesn't, I'll tell you it didn't. I said the Raptors would win game seven. Did they? No, the Celtics won. I lost that wait to see. It was a September 10th wait to see. Raptors lost game seven. I was wrong. Well, we got another game seven tonight. Tomorrow night, I mean. Tuesday night. Game seven. The Nuggets are playing in another game seven against the Clippers. Yes, Magic Johnson, who tweeted how great it will be for the Lakers to play the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, how great it will be for L.A. And then he had a tweet a day later, hey, Denver, you're not going to make me look like a liar, are you? Well, the Nuggets are going to make you look like a liar, not a liar. You just gave them some bulletin board material. Not that they needed it. The Denver Nuggets have played from behind. They've played now four series in a row that have gone to game seven. They were down 3-1 to the Jazz, came all the way back. Down 3-1 to the Clippers. They're almost all the way back. If you're looking for a great playoff series and a great team to fall in love with, it's the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets, wait to see. They will win game seven. You poked the bear magic, and you should know better than anybody. Never do that. You got very confused because you thought it was business. But to the Nuggets, they said, eh, we're fine. It's nothing personal. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.